We are creating a platform for those who are curious, one that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is the Working Artist Project. When I think of today's guest, I think of strength, I think tenacity, I think virtuosity. Jonathan Bechet is truly an original, and all of you who know him know what I'm talking about. He's a, he's edgy, he's sincere, he's nice. He's, he's a lot of different things rolled into one, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy hearing him explain what it is he does and how he got to where he is today. I'm also going to play a little bit of his music at, right after this introduction, just so you guys can really hear what I'm saying when I say, tell you that he is indeed a virtuoso on his instrument, a true master of the saxophone. So anyway, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome the one and only John Bechet to the Working Artist Project. What up? How's it going, everybody? <laughs> so, man, I want to start by getting a brief history. Uh, you know, where you're from, where you're going, and what you're doing. All right. Well, I'm from Michigan originally. Uh, I like to tell people that I'm from Detroit. I'm not actually from Detroit. I'm from Ann Arbor. But... Detroit sounds a lot cooler. My parents are from Egypt and they're immigrants, so I'm actually Egyptian. But a lot of people, they see me and they think I'm whatever they are. So, like, I live in Washington Heights or near Washington Heights on the edge. Of, I live on the edge of Harlem, but, you know, whenever I go to the stores, people speak to me in Spanish and then they get mad that I don't know Spanish because they think I'm like Dominican or Puerto Rican or something like that. And I'm, and they're, they're, they're insulted. Because they, you know, they just think that I don't care about my culture, but but I am not Latin American, so it's actually kind of hilarious. And then like a lot of a lot of black people just think I'm like a regular, like I'm probably mixed or something like that, or just a real light skinned dude. And then you know, white people don't know what I am, so <laughs> they're just like whatever. Yeah, but I'm actually Egyptian, so but I look like every I'm look like whatever anybody wants me to look like. So you you are uh, racially ambiguous. I appear racially ambiguous, but I'm 100% Egyptian cotton, man. <laughs> so, man, let's let's get into some of the music already. Like, I, I'm curious okay. to know, like, if uh, so, you're from Michigan, and mm. you're you play saxophone. We should go ahead and get that out of the way. You play tenor saxophone. Uh, yeah. And I'm wondering if your parents were also musicians, or or like you know, or how did you get into the arts and you know, my parents don't really know that much about music. I think they like to listen to a lot of music, but 
um, you know, they, they grew up in, in Egypt. So like their pop music is Egyptian pop music. So they like to listen to people like Um Kalthum. It's, it's nothing like, you know, what, what everybody else is like. It's weird because growing up here, a lot of people are familiar with the music of, of their parents. So like, I uh, did not come from a very musical family in that regard, other than the fact that we listened to like classical Arabic music. Mm. And the reason that I'm playing, uh, that I play this, the saxophone at all, is because in Ann Arbor, where I grew up, there was a very, very, very strong musical culture in the city and in the school program. So I was fortunate to have a lot of great uh, teachers who who you know were very dedicated musicians and very good great teachers and they're like the reason that I, I play music actually and so for me that's like a big thing is like education because I think that you know the ability to play music for all generations of cultures it comes from the older generation passing that down and if we don't do that then the music kind of dies Mm-hmm. So that's like an, that's an important thing to me. So that's why I always feel like uh, I'm very invested in education because that's the only reason that I play music at all. If that didn't happen, I don't become a musician. Hmm. Wow, that's interesting. I mean, it's funny yeah. because I, for a lot, even for me, I, my my dad is a musician, and my my mom. I had a musical background in the family, but I was introduced right. to music in school very much like you with the recorder flute, you know, and it kind of sparks oh, your, yeah. I, I, sparks I your did musical that too. Book. Yeah. So those, yeah. Pro- those programs are very important, man. No, they're, they're super important. I think, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in a school. Like a lot of people grow up playing music in church, but who is leading like the music in church, right? It's older people. It's not like a bunch of kids got together and was like, let's play music in church. Right. Like, somebody much older is in charge of that and he's the one that's showing kids how to at least something kind of guiding them or directing them somehow right they didn't just it's not like a bunch of 10 year olds were like oh you know what the service really needs it could use like some really killing music right like that was passed down by by the older older generation i feel like you're trying to get to something there are you, what are you saying? So in, in today's music scene, you feel like it's kids passing on the knowledge to each other and there's a lack of... No, there's just nobody passing on the knowledge mm-hmm. at all. Like, Or at least it's not as much as it used to be. You know, there isn't... I don't think there is as much of effort culturally. You know what I mean? Like everybody's doing it in schools. I guess like everybody's getting like teaching gigs now because that's a good way to make income. But I don't really like feel like there's like a cultural part of it. Like there's no, there's no like uh, investment anymore culturally in just the country in making sure that the next generation plays music or is appreciate or like really has music, a musical foundation of some kind. Right. Mm -hmm. Because a hundred years ago, almost every house had a piano everybody and and at least one person in the house could play it now if somebody has a piano in their house it's like a decoration it's like a novelty it's like oh cool i have a piano in my house doesn't that look pretty like in the corner where nobody's gonna touch it but like people used to sing like everybody used to be able to sing at least one family member could play a piano or some kind of instrument and i think that's becoming less and less the case and there's less of a cultural like general like at 
we want more people to play music. Right, right. I would say with the, with the exception of like New Orleans, it, it's kind of a, a rare. But situation. you know, man. But new, but New Orleans is like, it's like. But that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like New Orleans is so amazing. When I visited there, I was there for a month for the first time, and it was incredible how how the music was just so full of emotion, even from people who were like very very young. You know, that was incredible to me. I heard this brass band and none of these people were above the age of like 16. And it was just incredible just watching them parade around the neighborhood where I was staying and just the up emotion and the uplifting feeling of that just blew me away. You know, I, I honestly had never heard anything like that before. Mm -hmm. And I spent a lot of time around music and musicians, you know, See that in New Orleans, like that is a very special thing, and that's a rarity, I think, in the U.S. Yeah, that's yeah. not that's not common at all. Right, no, for sure. This New Orleans is like one of those places. It's just like ah, it's nothing else quite like it. You know, probably, people probably get tired of me talking about New Orleans on this podcast, but you know, whatever. I'm in love with it, so you gotta you gotta just get over it. But man, I want I want to get back to your parents because I'm curious to know if or how your your mom specifically. Or, or how both your parents individually inf uh, affected your creativity or influenced it? Um, I think that the, the skills that I really took from my parents the most was just kind of like having an intensity with whatever I do. My parents are both, my mom not as much, but my parents are both very intense people. And people who meet me and, and spend time around me say I'm a very intense person. And I think that that, you know, it's not so much like a creative thing, but like having that intensity uh, allows you, like, if you are very like disciplined and have that kind of intensity, abilities that allow you to become creative, if that makes sense. Okay. So I think that part, part of like uh, my upbringing is my parents were like, you, you know, like, you know, they would send me to like basketball, like do basketball after school. And I would, I'm not athletic and I was never good at it. But they would always be like, you, if we're going to send you to this camp, you know, you need to be practicing like your shot and you need to be practicing these drills that they're making you do. I'd be like, yeah, I don't want to do that. But they would make me do it and I would hate it. But they'd still be like, you got to, you can't, you can't bullshit this, you know. And then when they got me music lessons, they were like, you got to be practicing the saxophone. We're not paying for music lessons if you're not going to actually like really do this. So there was always an urgency to whatever it is that they made that I was doing. Like if you're going to be in school, you're in school, you got to get good grades, like blah, blah, blah. So there's always this intensity and there's urgency of like you, if you're going to do this thing, you can't suck at it. You have mm -hmm. to make an attempt, a serious attempt to like really put the effort and work into it. So there was always this intensity about, um, you know, whatever it is I did. And I think that that is the reason why I became at least competent. You know, that took me to the level of competency. I don't necessarily know if it allowed me to be, if it made me creative. I think it's in some ways that's a hindrance towards being creative if you're always so on the nose about everything. But it made me, it took me to a level of competency that you can't really get to unless you have like that intensity about you. Right. Okay. Now, I, I want to get deeper into that and kind of, like, why do you think they had that type of intensity? Like, what in their life affected them that would uh, make it seem important for them to pass it on to you? 
Well, they're like hard. They're really hardworking people, man. They're they're they 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 came from another country, learned you know another language, and you know got like college degrees and moved to the country, as, so that they could have a family here. You know what I mean? And I think you notice with a lot of immigrant parents who move here, who like work really hard to move here. There, there's a lot like that's that's kind of the only thing that gets you out of your country to move to a place that you have no family, no friends and, you know, no, no obvious future. Just just the hope of one, just the promise of one. But you're going to leave all, everything behind to move to another country that takes a certain amount of like urgency, almost desperation to really do that. So if you're not that kind of person to begin with, you're probably not going to move. Right. Like right. you're just going to stay where you are. So I don't know. I don't know if it's I mean, part of it is that they were not happy with where they were at the time, which is totally understandable. Uh, Egypt was going through a lot of changes in the 60s and 70s. Uh, you know, my dad was born um, in 55. And that was like right around when the uh, Islamic Revolution happened in in Egypt. And they overthrew like the British colonial uh, rule, and then they had their own. So they had um, the first president of Egypt was Gamal Abdel Nasser, and he was, you know, he came into power in '58 actually, and that was when my dad had been born, like three years prior to that. So the whole time, and then he was he died in office in the '70s, and then his predecessor took over and was assassinated. And that was around the time that uh, my dad decided to leave the country. Wow. So, yeah. So, like, he was assassinated. Sadat was assassinated. And then that's when my my dad had moved. And then, like, nine years later, my mom moved to the country. So, oh, wait, a wait, lot wait, of wait. So, they didn't know each other there? They did. But okay. uh, my dad had moved to the country. And then he got his degree. And then he moved back. And then they both moved to the U.S. I got you. Okay. So, but that was, there was a lot of things going on in Egypt and a, a lot of stuff was like starting to like fall apart. And so they were not happy with where they were. And then on top of that, they were Christians living in a Muslim country. Hmm. And so the, the kind of discrimination that they faced was like really, uh, was really brutal for them. So I think that, uh, you know, uh, they, there was a lot of urgency that just that they had in their lives that they felt. And so that's why they moved into the U S and I think that they just kind of like, that's the kind of people they were. So that's kind of like how they, how my sister and I were raised. Okay. If that makes sense. No, total yeah. sense. Yeah. 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 That's, you know, that, that your parents basically lived the American dream, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like the whole Ellis Island, like, Oh, it's an immigrant mm-hmm. moving to the, the, U.S. for a new life and a new future for their family and kids. Yeah, they're basically like textbook example of that. Wow. But you know, there's a lot of people trying to do that. So for sure. Oh, just you know, I think I think that when people move to this country in general, that's all they're really hoping for. And uh, it's kind of weird that I I am always frustrated that people want to like demonize those kinds of people because it's like nobody's coming to this country like they're not coming to this country like yeah let's move to the U.S. and like fuck shit up you know what i mean right nobody's coming nobody's coming to the u.s to do that maybe like two people a year might think that out of like 
thousands. But like, it's not like, but like, you know, it's not like most people are coming here like, yeah, let's ruin the lives of Americans. They just want a, a better life for their themselves and their their families. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I want to get to this music, man. So you, okay. you just put a, you just put a record out. Yep. What's the name of the record? It's the John Bechet Trio. Okay. <laughs> yeah, which is it's it's pretty pretty self-explanatory. You know, I tried to come up with some some names for it, but I I've never been very good at names. I ha- I often struggle to like write up original names for my tunes. Like when I'm first writing them, I'm just like new original. That's what I write on the sheet of paper. And then I come up with the title later that, you know, is either really awful or okay. But so I decided not to do that with my album because I, you know, that's like the two names or whatever, unless like you're writing a hit, in which case, you know, some studio executive will probably come up with a name for you anyways. But, you know, the two names are like, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily remember every tune off your album, but they'll remember the album name. And so it was one of those things where I was like, uh, do I really want to have like a dumb title for the album? So I was just like, we'll just call it the John Bichet Trio and that'll be the first one yeah man. but my hope is my hope is that the next one will be a quartet so that i can say it's the john bichet quartet <laughs> and then then the one after that will be the john bichet quintet okay All and right. and they and then and if you look at the artwork um a friend of mine uh daisy giles you did this and i want her i'm hoping that she'll do the other ones after that in a similar style mm-hmm. so there's kind of like a theme oh, going throughout all the albums yeah okay uh, it's on itunes and amazon so if you want to get it um, I don't know if we're allowed to promote, yeah, uh, promote plug ourselves this way. Yeah, plug it. So dig it. So uh, why I want to get into the importance of, of the record because we, we can't really draw that okay. much in meaning from the name because it's your name other than it's your name. So why it's a trio. It... Well, it's a it's a trio, which is in it of itself. If you are if you are if you're not familiar with jazz, then, yeah, that might not tell you much. But if you are familiar with jazz, then you probably know that the average jazz rhythm section uh, is consists of piano, bass, and drums. That's already three instruments, and I play saxophone, so that makes four. So if I say trio and I'm in it, then that means that one of those rhythm section instruments are missing, and in this case, it's the piano, which is kind of um, kind of a big stretch in jazz because the piano plays the chords, and it tends to even to people who don't know a lot about music, the piano guides the listener through the uh, through the structure of the tune that we're playing and so not having that out there it kind of makes the music sound a little more empty or spacious i would say i really think of it as space because now you have a little more room to stretch out it's one less person to interact with so you have more room to stretch out but also you can devote more of your energy focusing on interacting with the two the two remaining instruments which in this case is bass and drums so that in itself like does tell you a little bit about the album. In this case, that there's there's one less instrument than usual. In this case, there's no piano, so it's gotcha. just bass and drums. And why don't we give them an opportunity here, and uh, we'll let them be the judge of it. Which one you want them to listen to? I would say let they drift in. Gotcha. This is one of my favorite. This is one of my favorite. So when I was in middle school, we had eighth grade, we had a jazz band, and my teacher. Uh, gave me this uh, this Herbie Hancock compilation album. It was like the best of Herbie Hancock Blue Note years. And the first, the second track on there, the first track was Watermelon Man. The second track 
was Drifton. Both Watermelon Man and Drifton are from the same album, uh, Taken Off. But I liked Watermelon Man. We were playing that in band. I really like this tune, Drifton. And so uh, I wanted to put it on my album because I love playing that tune so much. And it just reminded me of like when I first started listening to jazz, this was one of my favorite tracks ever. Yeah. Here it is, Drifton. So yeah, so this tune drifting, man. Who's on this record? So it's uh, two two close friends of mine. Uh, George Delancey's playing bass, um, who I've known for eleven years now. Uh, we both went to Michigan State uh, together, and that's where I met him. And uh, I'm gonna have to come back to Michigan State because that that was like a huge uh, part of my musical education. Um, the other is this drummer, Kevin Canner. Who's from LA originally, and he was—he he had been living in New York for a couple of years. And I did the session with him once. George was like, "Dude, you gotta come play with this drummer." So I was like, "Okay," and it was amazing because we just like clicked right away. Uh, we just because because he and I just we all three of us, me, George, and Kevin, we just all loved the exact same records, and we all played a very similar style of jazz. And the thing is, is um, you know, there isn't like any one way to play any kind of music or just music in general, but there are things that, you know, every musician prefers or likes more than others. And it's the most fun to play music with people who kind of operate on that same wavelength as you. So when you find a guy who like you really just like share such close taste with it's like a really special thing to get to play with them so i really wanted to make a record with these two guys and part of the reason we did a trio was because when we were at kevin's place uh, we used to play sessions there all the time and he didn't have a piano so we would just play without a piano and that was actually the most fun was when we didn't play with pianos so i kind of wanted my record to sound that way like you were just hearing us play tunes the way we did when we did sessions okay why don't we touch on uh your time at Michigan State and why you thought that was so important to you? So when I was at Michigan State, um, when I was like 17, 18, um, I was like so sad. I was an awful musician. and But I really loved 
listening to the music and I wanted so much to like be a part of it. But I was like terrible. I never had really like good, like solid jazz lessons from another saxophonist. And so they, they you know, uh, at the time, uh, the saxophone professor there, Diego Rivera, he was teaching at uh, he was teaching at the Detroit Civic Jazz Orchestra. And so he was he was there and one of my friends was in his program. And so he was telling me, oh, yeah, there's like this really great, great teacher. His name's Diego Rivera. And I was like, you mean the painter? And he's like, no, 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 not the painter. That dude's dead. <laughs> and I was like, OK. And he was like, he said, no, this this guy's like a really great uh, saxophonist and he's a really great teacher. And I think I'm going to I'm going to go study at Michigan State at their program because like a lot of the teachers from Michigan State were involved with the Detroit Civic program at the time. And so I was like, oh, man, that sounds like, you know, somewhere I'd want to go. And then I heard Michigan State's uh, uh, jazz orchestra, like their student jazz, the one of the jazz orchestras they had at the school. They came down to Ann Arbor for this jazz festival and they played at the festival and I heard them and like everybody could play like everybody was killing and they were really swinging. And I was like, man, like I want to do that. Like I want to play the way they do. And so I managed to get in touch with, uh, with, with Diego and I left him a phone call. I actually mailed him a letter, but he never responded to it, but I know he got it because like a couple of months ago, he took a picture of it and sent it to me. And it was super embarrassing because it just was handwritten. It was handwritten. And I was like, hi, my name is John Bechet. Can I come study jazz at your school? And, uh, you know, but he never, but I, I called him and left him a message. And then he was like, you should come up and audition. And I did audition. And it was probably like the saddest audition in the history of the school. And he was like, yeah, you should just come study with me. Like he was, and he's such a great teacher he had every confidence. He's like, if you really want to do this and you really like the music, just come and I'll teach you. And he was so confident. Yeah, I was terrible. And he was like, it's okay. Like I'll still teach you. And he, and he did. And he was, he's like one of the best saxophone teachers mm -hmm. I think in the world, wow. like just for jazz. Yeah. For jazz. Like he could take, he could take, he could make like an eight year old swing, hmm. you know, like he's, he's an incredible saxophone teacher. And uh, one of the things that is really great about him is he understands the history of the saxophone overall, like where it, it, what its role is in every type of music, which is not really the case for everybody. Like a lot of people, they, they know how to do like one thing on the saxophone. A lot of people can do a lot of different things on the saxophone, but not everybody understands the entire history of the saxophone in all of the roles it's ever played in music. Which he, which he, he really understands and can break it down and explain it to you, hmm. and that's part of what makes him such a great teacher. But Michigan State, they had like such a uh, great musical jazz culture, and they're always like pushing and emphasizing that their students try to play as much as possible because that's important if you're a musician, is that you just play the music. Like it's not enough to just sit in a practice room and practice it; you got to play it. And they were always like pushing their students to play, and they always had like weekly jam sessions, and they would always play with their students, and so they would always encourage and try to push their students to like either play at sessions or play with each other or go book gigs. They were never like uh, weird about that. As long as you like 
still showed up to class, but they were like, yeah, you, you should go play gigs or whatever. Like, you should try to play as much as you can because that was the only way you're going to get better. Right. And they had a really great, really great culture. And, and a lot of the people that I know in New York or a lot of the musicians that I played with, I, I know because I met them in Michigan State. Wow. Yeah. That's dope, man. That's dope. Yeah. Yeah, I want to I want to change gears a little bit and get into the how tos of musicianship, like the stuff you only learn from being a musician on, you know, after a certain amount of time. Okay. And, and I want to start with work life balance. Like, how do you what tricks of the trade do you have for someone like you who someone who wants to write you a letter and they want to be a musician, but they don't really understand what it takes? How do you balance your life? Well, you got to treat it like a job at some point. Like, it's not enough to just be like, oh, I want to be a musician and I love music and that's part of my life. Like, you kind of have to treat it like a job that you have responsibilities for, right? Like, if you have an eight-to-five job, let's say you're an accountant or something like that, um, or just a lawyer or whatever, a doctor or some kind of business person or whatever, or, I don't know, such a general term, business people, but... If you have that job, you're expected to be at your job when they tell you to be at your job. And if you're not there, that's a problem. And if you don't do the work that is assigned to you or expected of you, that's a problem. And the thing about music is while you have a lot of freedom and a lot of flexibility to do or not do the things that you want, you still have to treat it like it's a job. And that means that you are responsible for making sure that you do the things that are required of you. So if you want to work, if you want to make a living, or if you expect that sort of thing, then you have to do the effort and put in the time and, 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 and meet those expectations that others are expecting of you. So like, if you're, if you want to be just a leader and you're never going to be a sideman, then you do have a lot of options. But the thing is, is like, you still have to like book your own gigs you still have to write, arrange, prepare all the music because nobody's going to do that for you right. unless you're going to pay unless you're going to pay people to do that. So you're responsible for putting all the music together or at least writing it out or whatever or teaching it to the guys in the band if you're going to really try and not write any music out. And you got to book all the gigs and stuff like that and then you got to make sure that the music is good. So maybe like you don't have to be a good musician to pull that off, but you have to be organized and disciplined enough to get all the pieces together so that the music does sound good, mm -hmm. but it's still a job. It's still a job. So your own success is, is in, in some ways heavily dependent on the work that you put in the difference between that and a regular, like structured job is that the expectations are clearly outlined for you. Like show up at this time, wear this, do this and then go home. Whereas if you're a musician, it's kind of like there are a lot of different ways and a lot of different goals and a lot of different things you can do, but you still have to do them. So the thing is now, if you want to get called by other musicians for to do work, then that means you got to learn the music that those musicians like to play. And you have to play it uh, at a level that is satisfactory to your other musicians, or they're going to call somebody else who can do those things. Right. So... Again, it's a job, so that means you got to be disciplined enough to like learn the music and then learn all of the things that you need, all the skills, whether it's skills on your instrument or skills with your ears or just you know 
skills with your own creativity, whatever it is, you have to be able to do those things at a level that will make people want to call you. Hmm. So again, it is a job. You know, it's not enough to just be like, oh, I like music and that's fun and I'm going to be an artist. Like you have to treat it like a job, which means there are certain expectations that you have to put on yourself and you have to meet those expectations. Otherwise, you know, it's going to be very difficult for you to make a living. Now you just brought up uh, playing with other people, playing with your peers. I'm curious Mm -hmm. to like, or even older musicians, like just anybody. Yeah. Anybody, anybody in the circle. Now the perception of those people who are around you, they're they're being your peers or they're being uh, your mentors or whatever, just the people that you need to work with. How important is that perception? And if they perceive you as not a good person, are there any kind of workarounds or any, have you ever been in those types of situations? (laughs) Like you mean good, not a good person, like not a good musician, or just like no, just like, gen- a, like a human unpl- being, like somebody has a grudge against you for you know because your shoes are pink and they only like blue shoes, or, you know, like something, you know, some sometimes ridiculous things happen and people don't don't like you for whatever reason. Well, I think that that's you know an issue that I don't I don't think that's just an issue in music. I think that's an issue in every kind of job people don't necessarily talk about those things right like if you're trying to get promoted and your bosses don't like you you're not going to get promoted so i think that that's an issue with with any kind of field unfortunately uh or fortunately it depends on, on what your outlook is but um it's not enough to just be good at what you do you need to also be able to at the very least not cause problems for the people who call you right because part of the reason that they're paying you money is so that you can do your job and take you know so and and not make it like you don't want to hire somebody and then by hiring them you have to do more work the idea is that you know with any business like if i start a business and i'm doing it all by myself that's great but then it gets to a point where i don't have the time to do it all by myself so what do you do you hire somebody to help you with it right you pay the money the idea is that when you pay the money you would get to do less work but you pay the money so if you hire another musician you don't want to have to do more work you want it to be less work so you don't want to be a person that causes more work for somebody in any kind of way you don't want to be the person who always whines and complains because then that person's gonna have to sit there and work harder to try and make you happy you don't want to be the person that upsets other musicians in the band because then you have to spend time making those people happy you know so in general you want to be the sort of person who at the very least doesn't create more work for the person that hires them Mm -hmm. and i think i think that that is probably the least that can be expected of you if you're asked to play for somebody or something. Right, right. Yeah, man, that's that's great advice, man. So y'all get your pencils out. <laughs> if you're a, and if you're a band leader, right? Like if the if a, like if you're doing any kind of gig and somebody asks to hire your band, you don't want to make it more work for the person that hired your band even though you're the leader. It's the same thing. Like you want to make sure, okay, we're on time. We're ready to do the sound check. We have all our music prepared. We're not we're not, you know, we're not causing more problems or more work for the people, or organization, or whatever that asked us to play music. Mm-hmm. We're there to play music and and take those concerns away from them, so they don't have to think about that anymore. That's our job. We'll deal with it. So if you're a band leader and your band is causing more work for people than less, 
you're probably not going to get asked to do a lot of th- a lot of performances. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> so, so dig it. We're gonna we're gonna switch lanes here. Okay. I like to play this game recently. I call it. I just call it the word game, much like the John Lachey okay. trio. It is what it is. <laughs> so I'm I'm gonna say random words, and okay. you're, you're gonna tell me the first story that comes to mind when I say this word. All right. Hope. I think that every musician, including myself, hopes that uh, by throwing themselves into this, that they'll be able to to kind of have the career that they hoped of, whether it's like playing or writing or performing or or anything like that. I think that we're all, especially in New York, where where a lot of us are under heavy pressure just to make a living. I think we're all hoping that our future is going to open up into like the kind of things that we want to do more of instead of just the things that we have to do right now. Saxophone. Uh, I think the saxophone out of all the instruments is probably the most expressive instrument, except for the human voice. I think the human voice is probably the most expressive, but I think after that, you're not going to find another instrument that can ex- ex- that has so many styles or so many sounds or so many different ways it can be played or so much flexibility or just like the way it's just played even by one musician. I don't think you'll find another instrument that is as expressive and has so much variability as the saxophone. Patience. Uh, I think that's something that every musician has to come to grips with because uh unfortunately you're never gonna finish you're never gonna finish right like there'll always be something that you can't do or something that you need to improve on and it also just takes time to learn something new especially as you get older and start learning like getting into like finer and finer details it takes longer and longer to do those things so you have to have patience and persistence to just keep doing it and doing it and having the patience to like to stick with it until it, you know, it kind of pays off. Right. Wow. I like that, man. That's dope. That's dope. Man. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to ask you something that, uh, okay. Usually only parents ask. Oh man. <laughs> I think I know what this is, but go ahead. Okay. Why are you a musician? Oh God. Uh, I'm a musician because I really like music and I like hearing music. And when I play, I get to decide what I hear. You know, I think every musician likes that about playing because they like to they get to decide what it is that they themselves are hearing. So it's like, I want to hear this. Well, if you're a musician, you can play it and make that happen. And that there's a lot of fun in that, right? Like that's fun to do. If you want to hear like, I really want to hear some some R&B. It's like, okay, well, if you're a musician and you know how to play R&B, then you can play it and you can you can make it happen. And not only do you get to like hear yourself play that kind of music, but you also get to decide exactly how you want to play that kind of music. So if you like really like if you really like funk or something like that, but you want to hear it done a certain way. You can either go find a recording where somebody does that, or you can make that happen yourself. 
So that's why I play music because I really like music, and when I when I'm playing it, I get to decide what it is that I hear. So basically, you like to be God, man. Like you know, like God created the world or the earth or whatever. If you believe in that, <laughs> when you're playing your instrument, you're well, creating... isn't that why anybody? But isn't that why anybody creates, right? Because they get to create, they get to make into reality the thing that they are imagining or the thing that they want to see or the thing that they believe in. Yeah, that's why. That's why people. That's why people create in general. I mean, I guess in that case, we're all kind of gods. Right, it's yep. just up to us how we choose to express that. One hundred, man. You know, because we also we we also have the power to destroy. Yeah. As well as create. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're both we're both God and devil. <laughs> Stay yin and yang, baby. Yeah, man. You know. So what's next, man? What's next on the horizon for you? What's what's next? Uh, you know, my goal is to just try and keep putting out albums. And I gotta say, this first album is was a lot of work, and unfortunately, the second album will be just as much work. <laughs> so, you know, my goal is to just keep putting out music, keep trying to perform, keep getting better. My hope is that I'm always getting better. I think that for a lot of musicians, when they get to a certain age, they just stop getting better. And the thing is, is like in life in general, you only have two options. You either grow or you die. You don't you don't really get to just stay where you are. So I think a lot of musicians stop, stop growing. And once they stop growing, they start their their abilities and powers kind of start to recede. So I hope that, you know, for me in the long term future that I'm always growing in some way, because I think that even even as you get older and maybe you're not as fast or flexible or, or whatever, you still sound fresh because you're growing. I think that the people, the musicians who, who, who sound fresh and original their entire lives are the ones who are always growing. Mm-hmm. And the ones who kind of stop doing that, even though they may maintain their abilities and you know still have their, their technic- technical skills and whatever, they don't sound as interesting anymore because they stop growing. You can only spend so much time on one thing before you've exhausted all the possibilities and it sounds like you're just repeating what you already know. Mm. Yeah. So my hope is to just keep growing and to just continue to play and put out more music um, and just continue, hopefully have the patience to just keep at it even as things happen slower than I would like. Yeah. Now, just now you mentioned death and I, I sometimes I like to ask a question, this particular question, and it has yeah. to do with death. So when you're on your deathbed, you know, like oh, man. what are the top five things that you would want to have accomplished? Hmm. Man, I don't know if I could ever put those things you know, the, 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 the thing about doing something like music or I think in art in general is that it's a craft, right? So I don't think there is ever any point in a person's craftsmanship where you can say, oh, I just do this one thing and that's I've made it. Or I just need to do these things and then I've made it and my career is made and set or whatever. I think it's a craft. So it's always like about a slow development, always refining or adding or 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 at or, or creating or doing something that continues the process of what you're already doing. So instead of like 
five achievements. I think that I would rather say the five things that I want to have always done or the five things that I want. I, I hope that by the time I'm on my deathbed, I can look back. The One of the things I can look back on is say that I always was was growing, like I said earlier, that I was always growing and that I was always learning. Uh, I, the second thing I would say is that, you know, not just musically, but also as a person that I'm growing and learning because I think as a musician, like you kind of also just have to work on who you are as a person. So, you know, just as you grow as a musician with your abilities, I think it's important that you also grow as a person and become more mature. And I think that's going to affect your music as well. And also it's just, it helps you live a more fulfilling life. So I would like to look back and say, yeah, I like grew this entire time as a person and I got better at just, just being a, a, a human being on this planet. Uh, the third thing is that I hope that, you know, I continue to have like really just continue to grow with my family and, you know, I guess as an achievement, I would like to say that it'd be nice to have a family of my own. So I guess that in itself is like an achievement. Um, you know, I, I would say that also I would like to know, learn, I would like, I speak English and a little bit of Arabic, but I'd like to be fully fluent in four languages before I die. So that would be really neat because if you can learn a language that opens up so much of the world. And I guess that would be my fifth thing is that I hope I get to see as much of the world as I can before I die, mm -hmm. because it'd be a real shame if I like didn't see if I just spent mo most of my life in one place. Yeah. So those are kind of like my five goals or things that I hope to be to have done or be doing by the time I die. Yeah, I like those, man. That's what's up. Now we coming yeah. to we coming to the end here, and uh, okay. I ask everyone on the podcast these three, you know, this one question, and it's. What are the three things that you're most thankful for? I'm thankful for the abilities that I have now because not everybody gets to play music uh, as much as I do. And I don't even play it as much as I want to, but I, I realize that like I probably get to play good music more often than most people ever will in their entire lives. Um, so I'm grateful for that. Um I'm grateful for the upbringing that I had. I feel like my parents worked really hard to give me and my sister the childhood that we had. And so I'm really grateful for that. And that's part of the reason why I have any kind of success right now. I think that's like such an important part of like who you become as an adult. I mean, it's not the be all end all, obviously like it's all up to like whatever you choose to do. But I think that, so much of like where we end up in life is a product of how we were raised and how we were brought up. And so I'm grateful for what I had growing up. The third thing that I'd say I'm grateful for is all the friends and people that I get to work with and just be around living in New York city. You meet so many different kinds of people and all of them are really great people. Well, maybe not all of them, but most of them are. And they it's so i'm so lucky i'm always excited to be around people that i know very well and to have the relationships that i do and you know i'm glad that i get to make music with so many different people because everybody's interesting and everybody's different and i think that that it's just it's just great to to have that you know you're not i'm not just playing or being around the same five people every day i see so many different people 
And so I'm grateful that I have so many people in my life, you know. That's what's up, man. That's great. But before we go, man, I want to give you an opportunity to plug all your stuff, you know, your your social media, your your record. Where can people find the record? How can they connect with you? Okay, the John Bichet album, John Bichet Trio, is available on iTunes and Amazon. So you can get you can get yourself a digital copy or you can come to one of my shows. Uh, I play around I'm actually building a website which is gonna launch next month. So be on the lookout for that. It'll be www.johnbachet.com. And of course, I said www like it's 1995. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so you can you can find you can find that album uh, online. You can search for my name on Google. The website will be launching next month, so stay tuned. There'll be a mailing list. Uh, if you check out the website, you'll be able to see where I'm playing and. Uh, you know who I'm playing with. I'm usually at Smalls every other Saturday night in the Village in New York City uh, with the Philip Harper Quintet. Uh, sometimes I'm playing at Swing 46, and I do a lot of other various gigs. So hopefully, I get to see you guys out at one of those. I'm gonna be doing a Midwest tour uh, this spring, so keep your eyes peeled for that if you happen to live in one of the Great Lakes states, because we'll be coming to a jazz club near you. So I think that's it. That's what's up. So can I get with you on Facebook and Instagram and that too? Yep. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all those things. I usually try to post about my gigs on those things. So you can find me. Just search for John, J-O-N, Bechet, B-E-S-H-A-Y. It's not related to Sydney Bechet. So hopefully that answers that question to all the people listening here. So they won't ask me that later perfect man so what i'll do is yeah. I'll, I'll link I'll, I'll put all those all that stuff in the bio and you guys can check it out you can check out what john is doing you can check out his music you can i don't know if you can download it. i think you have to actually buy the cd so john is stuck in the 90s but that's okay the music is really dope and i and, and i hope you guys uh <laughs> i hope you guys get it yo man thanks for coming on the show man yeah thank you for having me on the show man i'm looking forward to uh doing we, we get to play every once in a while, so I'm looking forward to the next time I get to play with you. Yes, indeed. Hey, guys. Thanks for tuning in to The Working Artist Project. Before you go, I'd like you to do a few more things. Don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast and check out what else I'm doing via my website, DarianDouglas.com. It would also be amazing if you checked out my Patreon page. I'll leave a link in the description. Later. Later.